0: It can be really important to not, to not have to be swayed by the speed at which other people are asking their change to happen. Be able to keep coming back and be like, okay, again, that's take a breath. How does this sit with me? Is this the time to do this thing now? Do I need a little bit more time? Because actually I do get to choose that.
1: Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag, so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, My intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hey there, it's your gal Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent, or maybe you're showing up for the first time right here in the middle of our spring 22 season centered around navigating change, specifically threading in some grace and a malleable framework that will evolve with you to support your career, health, and relationships. And I've got a question for you right out of the gate. I wanna know, who are you in relationship to change? Do your hands start to get sweaty when something's shifting? Does your blood pressure start to rise? Does panic set in? Do you feel alive? Or maybe you're like one of my clients, she's a collegiate swim coach who loves change, she thrives when it's time to research new options and organize a game plan. I ask this question specifically because when change enters the conversations, we often experience some type of physical reaction. Whether you're the leader in your company, maybe you're the parent of the household, or you're the one making the plans when a curveball is tossed your way. Many of us report feeling pressure, bubble up, when an answer or making the right decision is required now, as in on the spot. So what if you could soothe that feeling of false urgency when it is false and recapture a little bit of steadiness in that moment instead? Tapping into the roots of your immediate or emotional response, it allows us time Even if that time is just momentary to make decisions that actually solidify our integrity. And you're going to hear more about that, more about how transition can solidify our integrity when it's transition we choose or not in this conversation today. And I don't know about you, but when I am in the midst of change, I require extra moments to pause and be thoughtful. For me, big shifts require extra moments of steadiness where I can in order to rise I've got to root a little deeper, which is why. On this episode, we are welcoming in Jack Mason Goodall back to the show. Jack is a psychologist and founder of Autism Optimism International, an organization that supports and trains families and professionals and employers of neurodiverse people around the world. And what Jack does is he facilitates meaningful relationships based on understanding, acceptance, and compassion so that people can lead their best lives. And today, we're going to be talking about supporting the relationship you have with yourself and, of course, others during times of change. And if you fall in love with Jack, just know that links to all of his contact information is right here in the show notes, where you can go visit autismoptimisminternational.com. You are going to hear in a moment Jack share the key element to making good decisions at a moment of transition. And speaking of things that help us make good decisions at a moment of transition, know that there's a guidebook that goes along with this episode in our entire season to help you navigate your own unique changes. Head on over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast. It's totally free. I highly encourage you to give yourself the space to process outside of that beautiful brain of yours with the best resources we've got from this season. All right. If you're ready to take a moment to be certain that your decisions are in sync with your values, then this conversation with Jack is for you.
0: When we say transition or change, where do you go first? Well, I think what's really interesting is as soon as he said that, I needed to take a really deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there's a lot behind that, as there is a lot behind transition and change for all of us. More and more, I'm learning to pause in the face of change and check. Is this right for now? Is this necessary? Is it right for now? And do I have the capacity for it? Because I think that we live in a culture and in a climate that is so kind of unpredicated on change now and change fast for a whole ton of reasons that we can maybe unpack later i don't think that that's what we were <laughs> built or adapted or designed or evolved to do and i think that there's something incredibly discomforting and discombobulating about being in fast change and we experience fast change so often with life as it is at the moment so yeah Interesting that the very first thing that I wanted to do when you said transition or change was pause.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think what you're speaking to there is really powerful. Like as you mentioned the expectation that we would do quick, fast change all the time. And and also your small acknowledgement there at the end that there will be quick, fast changes that happen that maybe we didn't decide upon. I mean, I think of an epidemic, right? Like the pandemic, like none of us said, hey, let's do a pandemic for a few years, right? So here's this quick, fast, sudden change that's happened. But what it sounds like your invitation here is where I do have say or where I can be thoughtful, could I dare to pause there? Like where I can build it in. And even in a moment where Maybe we haven't picked the change. Mm. Still, what makes sense for me now? Like in the face of what's now before me. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, broadly, we can split change into change that we choose and change that we don't choose, right? Yeah. Yep. As a business owner, one of the things that I am becoming increasingly aware of is that there is actually more change that I get to control than I realize.
1: Ooh, say more about
0: that. I think it's very easy especially so the work that I do that is all about supporting people serving people helping people helping families helping businesses especially when we're working with people who who want and who need support there can be a demand there can be a pressure there can be a sense of like what I'm going through as your client what I'm going through is not okay it needs to change straight away and both as kind of as a practitioner as a psychologist as a therapist but also as kind of a business owner of someone who runs a business about therapy, it can be really important to not, to not have to be swayed by the speed at which other people are asking their change to happen. Be able to keep coming back and be like, okay, again, that's take a breath. How does this sit with me? Is this the time to do this thing now? Do I need a little bit more time? Because actually I do get to choose that. We want to be sensitive to other people's need, right? That's really, really important. But actually I think. If we are constantly changing from a place of reactivity, then we actually lose our sensitivity to others. Because again, if we just get into like the intricacies of what's happening in our nervous system, that we're reacting, we're reacting, we're changing, we're changing, it's quick, it's fast, it's stressful. We lose our ability to then kind of really tune in. Like empathy is an incredibly, I would call it an incredibly fine-tuned emotion. And in order to facilitate change with yourself and with others, we need to have empathy. We need to be able to tune into what's really going on for you. I can't do that if I'm constantly feeling like, I've got to react. I've got to react. I've got to do this change. I've got to do this change. So being able to think, actually, you know, this one, I am allowed to have a bit of control here. I am allowed to actually put the brakes on and say, ah, okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to change when I feel ready. I'm going to make this decision when I feel ready. It in my experience, absolutely helps me feel more in alignment with myself, which then helps me feel more in, line, in alignment with the people who I, I serve.
1: You know, I think this is huge, what you're talking about for anybody who's in the position of being the go-to person for somebody else, whether mm. that's a caregiver in an official or unofficial capacity, if it's the leader of an organization, if you're you know, the go-to person in your place of worship, wherever it is, you know, the idea of the quick swoop in to fix things paradigm, you know, is I think what's expected or what we've seen. And this idea of sounds to me like the discernment of urgency. Okay. I'm hearing that this is urgent for you. You know, in this moment, this thing is big for you. And I want to be sympathetic to that. I want to be aware of that. I want to be sensitive of that. I don't have to adopt the same sense of urgency. Especially if it's a career path, for example, like yours, where everybody has urgent need. There is always plenty of need. And so to be in a state of urgency all the time would be unsustainable as the practitioner, as the caregiver, as the provider. And when you say, gosh, Jack, reactivity leading to a desensitivity, Mm. that makes so much sense to me. I think about compassion fatigue. I have a sister who's a cardiac nurse who's been the front lines of COVID. And even before that, frankly, really worked very hard and then navigates this. And her ability to be soft and gentle has been really hard after the, the level of caregiving and the level of need to react. At, you know, in her, in her case, it is a life and death situation. There is this right. urgency, but how that can cause a desensitivity within us, the inability to be as empathetic as you're encouraging us to be as one of the tools for navigating change is powerful. It's powerful. So talk to me a little bit about that. How do you, as somebody who in a professional place of service, both to your clients, but also in leadership to your team, how do you weave in a pause? How do you weave in a moment of when reactivity could be an e-jerk response how do you cultivate a different way of responding? Have you always been like that? Is this something you've learned? Like,
0: I want to know about that process. Mm. It's so funny that you asked that because actually just before coming to this interview, there was something going on where one of our clients had had a little bit of trouble with scheduling some sessions with one of our practitioners. and, And there was a bit of confusion about what was going on. And there were quite a few emails flying back and forth and it was happening very quickly. And... I just sent out an email to our admin assistant to the practitioner who was involved. And I was like, you know what? Let's all just take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to get through this. <laughs> and I know that you're doing your best and I have faith in you both. I guess part of it, of uh, what I feel is as the leader of an organization and it's so interesting, you know, I work with families and often one of the ideas that we talk about with families is as a parent, your regulation, your emotional regulation sets the tone for your whole family. If you were emotionally dysregulated, it's a hell of a lot harder for your kids to regulate themselves. I'm kind of like the, the daddy of my business. Right? <laughs> so in a sense, you know, my emotional regulation does feed through to my team If I'm feeling stressed out about something, then the way that I'm going to communicate, the way I'm going to ask people to do tasks, the way I'm going to respond to things or demand things is all going to be communicating like, oh, this isn't okay. Oh, we're reacting. Oh, this change isn't good. or We're not changing fast enough, right? So I think one of the things that I have learned to do is to notice when I am in that place of reactivity, to know what does that feel like in my body? And for me, it very much feels like I'm not breathing Mm. or I'm breathing very fast and very shallowly. It feels like my nervous system is activated. It feels like I want to fidget all the time. It feels like it's harder to be present with a clear through line of thought. I'll have a thought, then I'll flash to another one and another one and another one. And when I notice those signs, it's a really good kind of flag to me of, oh, okay, I need to regulate for a moment. Because either this change is overwhelming, or I'm buying into the idea that this change has to happen fast, or I'm buying into the idea that this change is bad, or a change is happening, and actually, maybe deep down, it's not feeling right. So I'm kind of fighting. Like, I need to take a moment to be still and really check okay, what's going on for me here? What is this reactivity coming from? Is it resistance to change? Is it too much change? Is it actually this isn't the right change. Is it, this is change someone else is trying to force on me, right? Again, I always feel like I come back to this. I take my couple of deep breaths and I tune in, work out where is this reactivity coming from, and then see who do I want to be as I meet this change? Who do I want to be in relation to this change? Because my work is all about service it's all about building relationships you know specifically my work is about building relationships within neurodiversity and that's built on this understanding that humanity becomes itself <laughs> through relationships <sighs> my work becomes my work through the relationships that i have not just with my clients but with with my team and this this isn't kind of like a fully formulated thought so Forgive me if this doesn't quite make sense. Maybe we'll piece it together as I say it. But there's something in the idea that I also get to learn who I am in relationship to change. And it gives me the opportunity to solidify my integrity with the values that I believe in. And those values are about relationship. They're about presence. They're about empathy. They're about support. They're about not rushing. Right, not buying into the idea that we have to hustle to be different to how we are. So, if I'm constantly in a place of reactivity, I cannot be leading in integrity to those values. And I cannot be teaching those values to the clients that I work with. So, learning to pause, getting back in touch with myself, seeing where the reactivity is coming from, and reconnecting to. Who am I? Who are my values? Who do I want to be in relationship to this change in relationship to this person that has become such, such a through line and such a powerful tool to be able to run a, a business that has changed enormously in the last two years and that has facilitated enormous change in, in our client base.
1: Oh my gosh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the changes that you have navigated in the last couple of years and the changes that you're facilitating for your clients. But I can't move on without repeating what you said about change as an opportunity to solidify your integrity with the values you believe in. That this, you know, is something shifts and we're feeling perhaps the dysregulation that can come along, you know, with with a shift. To be able to see that not as, oh, this is me spitting out, spiraling out, going frantic. This is this feeling of being not as regulated as I might feel on other days is actually what the invitation to solidify my integrity looks like or feels like, Yeah, like, yeah. like oh, that's what happened. I'm not like losing my stuff necessarily over here. This is the call back to integrity hold on, what is it that I believe in? What do I want to champion here? In the face of what is before me, what makes sense now? Or how at my best would I show up for this? You know, at my ideal, what might I bring forth here? That is such a powerful framework, Jack, for looking at dysregulation as the call back to integrity or alignment. Wow. Wow. So, for any of us who are feeling dysregulated at the moment, like, look at us go. (laughs) We're being invited. We're being invited back (laughs) to check in with our integrity. Hey, what is it that I really believe in here? How can I show up for that in a way that makes sense in this moment?
0: On that note, I do just want to, I think I want to take a moment to acknowledge the privilege in being able to do that, right?
1: Yep. At this particular
0: moment in time, there are millions of people who are. Displaced, traumatized, who are going through change that has not been of their own choosing, and I think it's really important that we delineate here. We are ab- absolutely not saying that the <laughs> dysregulation experienced by Ukrainian refugees, Syrian refugees, Afghani refugees is hey, that's an invitation to get back in touch with integrity. No, that's that's really not what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. What I'm saying is, in the position of safety that I have, with the privilege that I have as a white, able-bodied, cisgendered man. I can leverage the dysregulation that I experience to become a better version of myself so that I can then serve those who do not have the privilege and the safety that I have.
1: Thank you for connecting those two things the connection between where we have privilege or opportunity, or can carve out privilege or opportunity. And even if that privilege is three breaths, like I can breathe by myself in the bathroom for three deep breaths here yeah. and to see that as an opportunity that is both of service to us and of others. And I think this is part of what I love about the mission and the approach of Optimism International is the inclusivity element that you bring to this mm-hmm. work and the understanding that self-care is really important. Something you and I talk about a lot is community care, right? And the connection between those two things. And that there are many people navigating change at any given moment. And that's not to downplay our individual changes either. It's not to say, well, somebody else has it harder than you. So yours shouldn't matter. No, but it's also to have the awareness that we as a global community are navigating change. And that when you talk about pausing with self and to check in with self, it also reminds me to be curious about other people too. You know, where are they coming from? What experiences are they yes. having? Right now, and to be curious.
0: Yes. And that's really at the heart of the work that we do. Whether we are working with parents who have neurodiverse children, whether we are working with other professionals who support neurodiverse people, or whether we are working with businesses and companies who have neurodiverse employees, in a way, the labels that we give to our differences in this conversation are to somewhat extent irrelevant. What is relevant is we are talking about difference. We are talking about the different ways that we all respond to change. And also flipping that the other way around, how when we embrace difference, it supports change.
1: Oh, say more. When we embrace difference, it supports change. Can you give me an example of that?
0: I absolutely can. I think about um a young man with autism who I was actually working with him and his family yesterday I've worked with, I'm so blessed I've worked with them for 14 years this family they're just it's a deep deep joy to be to part of their lives I help them in running a home-based therapy program for him mm-hmm. and we use a lot of relational play therapy techniques to support his desire to to connect with us to help present Learning opportunities to him in a way that are fun and meaningful for him, but also just to help him feel safe enough and accepted enough for him to want to open up and explore new things in the world, new ideas, new skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a period, going back, we were reflecting on this yesterday. There was a period maybe six or seven years ago where change was incredibly difficult for this young man. We would turn up. Do our therapy sessions with him. He had a wonderful support team who were turning up every day to work with him. All he was able to tolerate us doing was sitting outside the room, sitting outside the door to his therapy room. If we even tried to come in, he would be in there on his own. If we even tried to come in, it would be too overwhelming for him. He would just send us straight back out again. And so, this idea that I kind of circle back to very often is are we ready for this change? He's Mm. not ready for this change. We're trying to rush a change that isn't ready to happen. So the difference here is like, we were wanting to help things change. We were wanting to help him be more open, more responsive, more flexible maybe. But actually he wasn't. He wasn't at that point yet. So we're like, okay, you know what? This change isn't going to happen until it's ready. So let's Mm. give him the space to change when he's ready. We will just sit outside this door for a year. And we did his team showed up every day. They let him know that they were outside. They let him know that they loved him and that it was really okay. That he wasn't yet ready to open the door. And look, of course, we were still able to make sure that he was safe. We were still able, you know, he was still eating. We were still able to like help him go to the bathroom, all these things. But in terms of actually receiving therapeutic support, that he was not yet ready to engage with. So we just we just sat and sat and sat. And then Yeah, it was after about a year, he started allowing us in a tiny bit, and then a tiny bit more, and a tiny bit more. And now he is one of the most loving, connected, warm, responsive, flexible people who I work with because he was able to come to it in his own time. We embraced the difference there. We embraced, okay. You're not ready for this yet. So we're not going to push it on you. Right. And then he was able to relax. He was able to regulate. He was able to come to that change in his own time. And it was the most beautiful thing. And look, again, there's a lot of privilege in having the luxury of that time scale to work with someone. And we don't all have that. But when I talk to business owners about supporting neurodiverse employees who often do you need a little bit more time to process change, to prepare themselves for how this new thing is going to feel? Saying, well, look, would it drastically affect the operation of your company if you gave this person another day to process this idea? Would it drastically affect the the operation of your business if actually you gave everybody a little bit more time to process change and that you actually had a conversation about, How does it feel that this change is going to happen? What does that bring up for you? What do you find difficult about this? What are you worried about this? How does it feel in your body when you think about this change happening? Encouraging those conversations where we get to find out about the different experiences that people have when they consider change, it brings us, again, into relationship. It brings us into connectivity. And that is where we get to really grow. That's where as human beings, we experience our greatest development is in relationship with other people. And we can't have relationship if we're not talking about an understanding difference.
1: Yeah. And so many differences there, but difference in pace, like in who is setting this pace and how much do we think we are entitled to set the pace for other people? And on the flip side, how good does it feel when somebody else lets us move at our pace? Yeah. At our own pace. And I think about the level of trust that must be established in a relationship like that, where, you know, if this young person can know for a year, you're still going to be there and you're not going to force anything. I'm still going to be there. I mean, I think of the friends in my life who are consistently there. They're there when I'm, when things are easy, they're there when things aren't easy. They love to celebrate. They love to talk about the hard stuff, like, those that are there that allow us to navigate our changes, our shifts, our thoughts by meeting us where we are.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. I worked in an organization quite a long time ago, and there was an ethos that was made very explicit there. And it said pretty much verbatim, meet change with an attitude of yes, and there was always something in that, that like on the surface, that sounds great, right? Like we want yeah. to say yes to change. We want to be able to embrace it. There was always something in that that didn't quite sit right with me, that had a slight feeling of, ooh, there's some pressure there. Mm. What if I'm not ready to say yes to this change? What if it's change that actually did we, I can't say yes to? <laughs> right, what if change that I disagree with or that I don't feel ready for? And so what I come to now is this idea of to meet change with the question, how do I feel? Because there's such richness in that. And yeah. as an employer, there's richness in me knowing how my employees feel about changes. Mm-hmm. It encourages openness, it encourages dialogue. Everybody enjoys feeling heard. <laughs> It allows me as an employer to think, well, okay, I'm thinking that this is a great idea, but I'm getting feedback from everybody else that this does not feel good. I need to take notice of that. I need to pay attention to that. I need to be open to the idea that my idea of change, my experience of change, my comfort with this particular change might not be everyone else's. And if my job as the leader of an organization or as a psychologist who is facilitating change with my clients... I need to be really, really sensitive to whether they are ready for it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Navigating Change. This is a course I have had the honor to teach for years with my dear friend and preeminent thought leader in the field of positive psychology, resilience, and authenticity, Dr. Maria Sirwa. If change is on you like a heat on a jalapeno, I hope you'll join us live in person at Kripalu Center in June of 2022. But in the meantime, you can RSVP to attend a live recording of Messy and Magnificent with Maria and I on May 11th, where you'll get to explore one of our favorite models for navigating change well. Save your spot via the link in the show notes or head on over to carlyfane.com forward slash RSVP. And even if you can't attend live, RSVP anyway, and we'll send you the recording the next day. This is totally free. It's my treat and an extra special way we can gather our wits and wisdom as a community together. Go grab your spot. I can't wait to see you soon. Mm. So talk to me about practically what that can look like, because, because you know, my my... Brain goes immediately towards thinking, you know folks who are listening who might say like, Yes, this makes sense to me right listening to to our colleagues, our employees, those we're in relationship with, you know knowing where they're coming from is really important, and as a leader, still knowing that there's objectives to reach or there's goals you know, or if nothing else, there's revenue that must be made right in order for the bills to be paid in order for people sure. to have a sure salary. So I'm curious in your experience of creating space for people to share, you know, their thoughts about a change or where they're coming from around a change, has that slowed down the growth of your organization? Do you feel like that limits you? Do you feel something entirely different? What do you notice as you create space for people to move through change in a way that makes sense for them within your organization?
0: Mm, Such a great question. Well. To put things in context, there has been enormous change within my organization. We, we were founded just over two years ago. And within those two years, we've gone from being an organization that was just me on my own, working with families with neurodiverse children, to an international company that has a team of four that works with families, works with professionals, works with companies that has really just kind of exploded in the last two years. So I wanted to lead with that really to say, I guess kind of the proof is in the pudding. (laughs) (laughs) We right (laughs) from the very start have prioritized taking a bit of time to process change, to sit with it and to think how, how does this feel? And it seems to have really reached dividends, not just for us, but for the work that we do. Our clients, I think, then experience, again, this idea of integrity, that we are acting within the business, we are acting within, with integrity. And that then feeds through to the work that we do supporting people, right? We're not teaching them one thing and then doing something totally different behind the scenes in how we manage our own change. But in terms of practicalities, When I took on um, our most recent member of staff, who is our incredible, incredible office manager, we made it very, very clear in her onboarding process that we practice what we preach. Mm -hmm. We prioritize listening to our feelings. We prioritize listening to our gut feelings. And we welcome conversation and dialogue and feedback. And so there have been several times when... I was on the verge of making a particular decision about something. And she was like, you know, Jack, my gut feeling is just really not with this. There have been some times where I've had to say, well, actually, in the best interests of the company, we are still going to need to do this. Right. And I think that's also then having kind of really clearly established, clearly established, I guess, sort of sets of, well, this is ultimately my decision to make. This is where the buck stops. So clearly established responsibilities, I think. But equally, there have been times where she's been like, "Ah, I'm really feeling like we should do this thing. And I then sit with that. I'm like, yeah, actually, this is great. So right from the start, we have said, listen to your gut, voice your gut. We welcome that. One of the things I've made really, really clear to do is to make sure that I really celebrate and thank my team for bringing their opinions. Again, doesn't mean that I'm always going to go along with them because sometimes as the leader of the organization, I may have kind of a a bigger overview than, than they may do in a particular moment. But to always thank them and celebrate them because I want them to feel good and confident about bringing that experience to me. Because then I get to make a decision having listened to four different perspectives I get to make the decision with four different brains, not just, not just mine.
1: Ah, what a brilliant way to look at it. Like, why not get all the brains in on certain decisions, right? Like, why not be open to the information? And I love how you say, you know, the proof is kind of in the pudding. Like, this speed of scale is possible because there's room for everyone to be part of it. Like there it is, you know, and it's funny. We just did an interview with Emily Pritchard, the founder and owner of the Socialites and her company too, you know, it's just had incredible scale over the last 10 years. And and that was something she was talking about was, you know, getting out of this solo leader mindset of I've got to do this all myself and then present the finished product to the team and delegate to them kind of shifting, you know, the transition into, Hey, I have an idea. Let's all talk about this. You know, or your idea is welcome here. Let's all talk about it. And then let's launch an experiment together. And here's our hypothesis. Our hypothesis, it'll work. Let's go find out, right? Like let's yeah. go
0: see. And I tell <laughs> you what, that has been a doozy for me <laughs> in the last year mm. since since I have taken on a couple of extra team members and I have been giving more jobs away that I would typically have done myself in the past you know, change really brushes up against our need for control. And that has been such a big thing for me. And so part of that for me is actually I need to sit with feeling really damn uncomfortable sometimes. Like, you know what? I'm going to ask my assistant to make this leaflet or type up this handout that we're going to send to our our clients. I need to sit with feeling really uncomfortable that it's not going to be me doing that. And right. it's not going to be done the way that I would have done it. But who the hell says I would have done it the best way? <laughs> right. Right. But just being really aware, especially as 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 a recovering perfectionist. You and I have kind of <laughs> joked about that term before, right? And as like a historic high achiever, I've been very, very used to this message that like Jack, when you do things yourself, you do them great. Mm-hmm. Yep. There and it that is. Is such, it's such an isolating message and it's such an isolating feeling, but there's also then a real safety within that. Like if I, I do the whole thing myself, I'm completely in control of it from start to finish. If it messes up, that's my fault. If it's great, I get to reap the, the congratulations for that. But coming back to this idea of relationship and being in relationship, it keeps me separate.
1: There it is. The drive to do it all ourselves is really like to step onto an island. It's the path to isolation. And I love the way you speak so clearly about, gosh, you know, part of navigating change or growth is learning how to sit with discomfort. Like it is going to feel uncomfortable, right? And to see that discomfort, not as a sign that we're doing it wrong, but as a sign that we're doing something new here. Like this is outside of the zone I have known. Okay. I'm stretching into something different here. What's one thing that allows you to handle some level of discomfort, right? To not just like quick. Cause I think it's like, when I'm uncomfortable, it's easy to just like, Oh, I'm going to quick eat more. I'm going to Netflix binge. I'm going to all the things that are great to do ideally consciously, right? Like ideally like, yeah, sometimes I do need a Netflix binge. Sometimes I do need a really good pasta dish, like whatever it is. Like those are things I can really appreciate. But when I'm doing them as a means of Avoiding what needs to be tended to. and I think for a lot of high achievers we often see overworking as the thing, right? Like overworking is the thing we do because we're actually quite comfortable with doing a lot of work hours. That's you know our zone of knowing. we know about long hours. That's not our, our challenge point. What's one thing that allows you to be in that moment of discomfort and not necessarily revert back to a habit that you're that you're ready to let go of?
0: I think it goes back to where this whole conversation started, which is dysregulation creates an opportunity to get in touch with my integrity. Mm. When things are going easily and I'm comfortable and everything's going smoothly, I don't even really particularly need to be in touch with my values because I'm just like going along easy. Things are flowing. It's when things are hard. Right. That's when I really need to find out who do I want to be in this moment. Mm. And deeply embedded in the values of Autism Optimism International is the idea of acceptance and presence. We talk about holding acceptance and presence for people who are different to us, whether that is an autistic child, a neurodiverse employee, and we want to offer that to ourselves as well. Mm. Like, okay, I'm here, I'm struggling. Can I hold acceptance and presence for myself in the middle of this struggle? Because if I can do that with myself in a moment of difficulty, then I sure as hell can do it and offer it and model it for a client who I may be working with. So that's one thing is about really thinking, okay, this is a chance to really like, you know, hard bake my value system. You know, it's like the pot getting fired in the heat of the kiln. Like I'm in the heat of my discomfort with this change. This is like, okay, I'm meeting myself here. There's also two, I think, I'm going to say too much value put on comfort. Mm. Carly, you and I both connect to like the yoga and the wellness community. And there's a lot in that that is absolutely invaluable, but there's also a lot in that that teaches, you know, what gets called spiritual bypassing. Like, oh, oh, something difficult's happening. Well, be happy. (laughs) Be happy yeah. about it. It's fine. It yeah. brings a change. Like if
1: you deep breaths, let it float away on a river. Like, wow. Exactly.
0: Okay. <laughs> Sometimes that river is like a white water rapid, and we need to accept that. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and this is a work in progress. I'm by no means complete with this, but really starting to undo the social conditioning that I have received that I could or should be comfortable with everything. That somehow being comfortable means that I'm winning, which I just really disagree with now. I think, well, actually, I disagree with the idea that any way of living your life should be interpreted as winning. But I think if we're to, to be considering how do I live a life that feels valuable, then finding ways to be really present and open to what I'm experiencing right now, whether that is the discomfort of like, ah, oh, I'm not in control. Then that feels like, ah, oh, who cares if someone doesn't think I'm winning? I'm actually mm-hmm. living, right? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes, it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote the full quote is, you know, do I contradict myself? Yes. Or very well. I contradict myself for I am large and I contain multitudes. I think I find that so deeply valuable because we also tell ourselves these all or nothing stories about our experience and who we are. I'm uncomfortable with change because I'm out of control. I don't need to tell myself the story that that's all of who I am. It's like, okay. Part of me has a need for control and that's getting triggered right now. But look, there's this other part of me that actually feels really fine about all of this other stuff. I'm all of that. So learning also not to over-identify with the discomfort of change.
1: To allow and yet not over-identify with. To acknowledge, to see and not obsess over. Like that to me feels like the gateway, you know, to a both situation. Yes, I am feeling discomfort around X, Y, and Z, and this is how it's presenting itself. And I'm also feeling really good about this one thing. I really like what I made for breakfast. These shoes are very comfortable. This decision I made last week is proving to go very well. Whatever it is, that there's this capacity for all the facets of who we are And, and each thing that we're doing, I think is such a spacious and inclusive and rich way of looking at it, Jack. And I'm so curious for you, you know, as we talk about these, the navigating of these different types of changes and allowing, you know, for growth to happen in a way that is both of service to self and of service to others. I'm so curious for you about your decision to have your company start to transition to work with other companies. So to to shift from doing, you know, direct therapy you know with families or with children or other folks one-to-one and to move into this capacity of supporting other caregivers and other service professionals and other business owners what are you noticing about this change what you know for your organization or for you personally what do you notice about making this shift in the evolution of your company well I think
0: I want to start by really talking about where that shift came from because again, it it is really predicated on change. You know, we started off a service that worked with families who have autistic and neurodiverse children. And then over the years, I've worked with these kids and I see them growing up and growing up and growing up. And the young man I was talking about earlier is a great example of that. I met him when he was eight. He's now in his early twenties. And so there comes a point where we're thinking, okay, what now? What now for these people? Mm. You know, for some of these kids, they may have not been educated in a mainstream school. They may not Be able to access a mainstream school environment for those who have, where do they go next? And really seeing, you know, at least here within the UK, there is a certain amount of funding and provision and state provided support for children who are neurodiverse. That support and that money dries up significantly once they reach the age of majority, so they're starting to see that, you know, we've been having all these services supporting these kids at, at a younger age, but then what do we do when they get older and there's not so much for them? How do we create a society and a culture that welcomes them and gives them a meaningful place? We can't do that if we're not going out into the world of work and saying, right, everything that we've created for families to be able to support and welcome and nourish their kids at home, how can we replicate that? in the workplace because I, it can be done.
1: Mm-hmm. What don't oh, tell me, I'd love to hear, you know, as you're, as you're navigating this process of working with more companies or in a consultant fashion for other providers of similar services, what's one surprise you've had? What's one thing you know now that you didn't know when you were beginning this?
0: One of the things I have been so struck by is help people think about their sensory systems. And actually, you know, we're talking about change here, but ironically, I'm going to comment that the incredible commonality that I see when I get people, whether they have a label of neurodiversity or whether they consider themselves neurotypical, when we get them really talking about, okay, what's going on in your body? If you could change one thing in this office to better support your body feeling comfortable so you could do your work more efficiently, what would it be? And everybody has something. Everybody has something and it could be something simple. For example, the fact that the general temperature that most office air conditioning units are set to is designed for a cisgendered male body. So most women in the workplace are uncomfortable. Most, sorry, most, yeah, no, cisgender generally, I think is what I'm referring to. Most women feel uncomfortable with the temperature. (laughs) <laughs> and then that has an impact on on their work and their focus. Right. Things like you know if the light is coming through the window in a particular way and it's falling on their eyes, and the office doesn't have blinds on that window, right? Or that someone's having kind of a, a conversation and it's really loud, and maybe they could go into a different room to have that conversation because it's distracting everybody. You now, the helping people think about how their sensory experience impacts on their ability to do their work. Is huge and is across the board, whether someone has a label of neurodiversity or not.
1: Well, and I think this is, you know, ties so briefly into this entire theme of, you know, our sensory experience having an impact on the way we do our work. Our sensory experience, as you talked about earlier on, is an important part of the way we navigate change as well. Right. Right. And just remembering that we have a physical body that has certain senses and that welcoming those to the conversation or tending to those in the conversation where possible, where we do have purview, where we can have some influence and making sure that everybody else has the opportunity to do the same, right? Has the opportunity to have their physical needs met, their nervous system needs met. What more might be possible from us all if there was a baseline agreement that being and feeling well was the goal for all of us. You know, if this is how much work we get done as is, how much work might we do or what would the quality of our work be like if we were doing it from a place of feeling resourced and tended to and taken care of. So I'm still curious, are you willing to play the two-way Q&A? Yeah,
0: let's do it. No, number one, if you came with a warning label. What would it be? So when you interviewed me last time on this podcast, I believe my warning label said something like, you will leave an interaction with me feeling better about yourself and having revealed something you didn't expect to. I would like to add to that warning label that you will leave an interaction with me having felt really seen And I do want to add that that can bring stuff up. And I think it's always useful for that stuff to be brought up. I think, you know, the more in touch with ourselves we get, the more we can look after ourselves. But I think something that I strive to do with my team and my work, with the clients who I support, is to really see them and to really reflect back to them who I see so that they can know themselves better, so that they can be the most effective versions of themselves.
1: To seen and be seen is such a potent way of connecting with your earlier phrase around humanity, our own humanity, each other's humanity, and what makes sense in any given moment of change. So thank you for that, Jack, for seeing us all. I'm curious, based on our conversation, What's one thing you want to know from somebody listening? What are you wondering about them right now?
0: The thing that immediately comes into my head is where do you feel change in your body? When you think of the word change, where does it land in your body? Like for me, it lands in my gut. That's where I feel it. And I wonder for everybody listening, where does it land for you? Mm. what, What happens if you just tune into that feeling? for a breath or two.
1: What a delicious exploration that is just to notice. Okay, where do I feel it? My toes and my chest and my yeah. heart, like where? Yes. Oh, we want to hear this from you. We'll put all of Jack's contact info right here in the show notes and, and mine as well. Like, let's talk about that more. What a great place to start to include our body and the regulation of our nervous system in change is to begin by just noticing where am I sensing this? What am I feeling and where? Yeah. Wow. So, Jack, even if other people disagree, when it comes to navigating the territory of a transition, what is one thing you know to be true?
0: That there is not always, but very often, more space than I initially think. Even if that space is just to pause and take a breath, there is more space. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: And to think, like to that be a a first response or a second response when when change is happening, change we chose or change that has come to our doorstep. Is there any space here? Can I create any space here for a breath, for a moment to integrate, for a moment to process? Even if it feels urgent, does that mean that it is? You know, what does this look like? Yes, thank you for that. Because I think that's such an honest exploration. Because sometimes the answer is like, no, the house is on fire. There's no time to talk about this. You've got to get out the door, right? But there's a lot of times where we could say, no, this is a text message. I can get back to it after I eat lunch. That would be okay, right? Or I can respond to this email when I've got my thoughts more together. That would be okay. Yeah.
0: And that, you know, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. I don't have to rush to get rid of that. Yeah. I can pause and, and take a breath.
1: Oh, thank you, Jack. We appreciate you being here. You are one of only, I think, three people who have been on the show two times. And we are so honored to have had oh. you in the room both times. And if you love what Jack's doing, just know we'll put a link to your first episode with us. That must've been two years ago now in the show notes so that you know there's more, there's lots more Jack in the world. We appreciate you so much. Oh, thank, thank you for you. the way you bring psychology and compassion and empathy to the conversation of change.
0: Thank you so much. It's a it's delicious. It's delicious to be here and to talk with you. And yeah, these a wonderful, important conversations.
1: Ooh, Jack Mason Goodall. I am so thankful for the ways Jack addresses the emotional responses that we have and are allowed to be there, but also how to engage with them thoughtfully. I do encourage you to download the guidebook. If you haven't already, that goes with this season. It will take you even deeper into Jack's process, you can get that right here in the show notes or head on over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast. But don't just keep your thoughts to yourself. Bring them to our community. Tell me in a review on iTunes, what is one word or thought or phrase from today's episode that you don't want to forget? Your words matter. And I would love to hear what's true for you and give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. And stay tuned because this conversation is going to take a sweet turn next week from the internal to the external. Erica Cartledge, a business owner that left the field of finance to become an image architect, joins us to talk about how the ways we dress and organize our closet can give us wildly deep insights into our signature strengths, passions, and the best next steps. Between now and then, remember, you thrive through nourishment not punishment. And one way to work healthier, not harder, is to dare to pause from time to time. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode, and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.